have a question for you. What circumstances surrounded you the last time you were in the valley of the shadow of death? What were the incidents or the scenarios that put you there? And the only thing that seems down is a rock and everything else is above. You were in that valley. Perhaps it was sickness or death or despair. Perhaps you lost your job, received a report of cancer or something, lost a family member, lost your family due to just some sort of uh, divorce or separation. We all endure these moments that we would characterize as the valley. If you live long enough, you realize it doesn't just happen once. There are many of these throughout life. What circumstance did you face as I named some scenarios? Perhaps you had a Job-like experience. Job from scripture was one who was blameless and upright, but Satan attacked him. And similarly, perhaps the enemy is attacking you and throwing you in the pit of terrible danger. Perhaps you were like the prodigal son who ran from what you knew to be right, yet God protected you and eventually you came to your senses and you returned home. And perhaps you were like Jonah, who was called to a task, but you went the opposite direction. And God continued to frustrate your plans with appointed obstacles until you finally resigned to his directive. The valley of the shadow of death. Psalm 23 famously describes this when David wrote that psalm. And he wrote that he did not fear evil in that valley, because the Lord's rod and staff comforted him. Now today's story is Jonah's death valley. This moment in which he's been sitting in this big old fish for three days. And it challenges us to ask the question, how do we respond when we are in life's valley? What is our response? From what we see today, there is only one response that leads to freedom, that leads to peace, that leads to a calm in the midst of that chaos or that despair. So let's read some of this story together and we will pull from it various principles. I'm gonna start with the verse I concluded with last week in chapter one and then we'll read all of chapter two. So Jonah one, starting in verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. All right, let's just remember, the fish did not accidentally swallow up Jonah. It didn't just think it was delicious-looking bait. This was an appointed moment by God to get his prophet in that water, to not only catch him, but also protect Jonah. And what Jonah thought would kill him was actually appointed to save him. This story reminds me of Disney's Pinocchio a little bit. I just can't help but remember that scene in which Pinocchio's sitting in the whale talking with a cricket and they're like interacting. I don't really remember the scene. It's not very kid-friendly. I will say I recently watched part of that movie with my little children because they insisted and I thought, sure, why not? And then found out I fast-forwarded most of the movie. But we did, <laughs> we did pause on this part and... Uh, even though it was recent, I still don't really remember what happened. But in Jonah's case, he's not just having fun, swapping stories. 
he is in this miserable belly. It is slimy, it is stinky. And up until now, we've been talking how God has been trying to get Jonah's attention. He used the storm, he used the crew, he used getting tossed overboard, all these different things. He's gotta get Jonah's attention. Well, now he's got his attention. I mean, when you are in the belly of this fish, there's nowhere but Jonah's attention. And we don't know what kind of fish this was, I think that you can ask Jonah one day when you see him in heaven. This is such a bizarre story. It wouldn't surprise me if there's that like afternoon exhibit, 2 p.m. every day. Jonah has to walk through with every new believer who just got there in the last 24 hours. And he's like, all right, let's do this again. This was the fish. This is what I was at. You know? I actually think when you, read, when you read Revelation, read about the marriage supper of the lamb. We don't know what's at this marriage supper, but if there's seafood, I can imagine that there will be the pranksters who want to keep offering seafood to Jonah. And he's like, stop it. People keep wanting to do this. I do not want any scallops or fish. So here we have chapter two. Let's read this and read what Jonah cries out to God. He says, <clears throat> what starts off, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. It's like, yeah, you better believe he was in distress. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and all your billows, they passed over me. All right, I'm gonna pause there, and, and, and the next several verses are his prayer here, but let me, let me pause here. This is his prayer that's recorded, and it reads as if it's sort of the last prayer he prays before the fish spits him out. And when we read this, it wouldn't surprise me if at first Jonah's tossed in the water and he's surprised, like he's happy that he's not only gonna like be thrown in this water, but then this thing eats him. He's like, great, end it, end it here. He would rather die than fulfill what God called him to do uh, or called him to uh, yeah, do by going to Nineveh and preaching this message of repentance. He wanted to die instead. And so he was probably kind of happy, and I, I bet he even imagined and rationalized in his head that this is all in God's hands. He's not even culpable. Hey, the crew threw me in. I knew I told them to, but they did it. And well, Lord, you appointed this fish. This thing's eating me, and I'm done. Thank goodness. Just call me home. I don't want to deal with any of this. But after day one, and after day two, and after day three, he starts talking to the Lord. And uh, reality starts setting in, that he's not gonna get eaten, but instead he's actually gonna be protected and gonna be sent back to the shore and have to still go preach. This is like a version of timeout, you know? A technique that we use with our kids in timeout is we put them in timeout for whatever age they are. So our, uh, our four-year-old is in timeout for four minutes. Our six-year-old is in timeout for like six minutes. Well, this is a big boy timeout, right? This ain't just sleeping on the couch. Whoa, what is going on out there? <laughs> when was the last time you were in timeout? And God put you there. And you'd say, I'm in the belly of a fish right now. How long were you in timeout until you came to your senses? For Jonah, it was three days. He's mulling over this situation. He starts crying out to God, probably thinking through some regret. Maybe he should have obeyed the first time, all that kind of stuff is starting to come to mind. And then he cries out a prayer that actually mimics, mimics Psalm 118. A lot of his prayer mimics a lot of other passages 
but 118 verse 5 says, Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. Friends, I want to pause in Jonah's story to remind us that the Lord sets us free when we turn to him. All that junk that the enemy dangles in front of us and convinces us if we enjoy, it will be uh, pleasurable and it will be actually freeing. No, no, those things are chains. And when you turn to Christ, he does set you free. When we turn our attention to the Lord and confess our sin, he frees us by the blood of Jesus Christ. We ask for forgiveness and then we leave our sin at the cross knowing it's been forgiven, again, through Jesus' blood. It no longer has power over us. So when the enemy, when he whispers shame in our ears at night or in the morning when you wake up, whatever it is, we can point to the cross and what do we say? It is finished. We don't point to ourselves when the enemy wants to shame us. They don't say, well, no, I've actually been really good. Look at my checklist. No, no, no. You don't even have to do any of that. Just point to the cross. It was taken care of when Jesus died there. All right, so Jonah, he continues his prayer, uh, starting in verse four. He says this, then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. You know, this actually reads almost as if Jonah knew or had heard, you know, from God, just in Um, They got spoke to him telling him that he would survive this because the language here is, oh, I'm I'm gonna gonna live, I'm gonna continue. So he says, I'm driven away from your sight, but I will again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head, right? Seaweed probably wrapped around his head at the roots of the mountains. I went, to, uh, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought me up from life from the pit, O oh Lord my God. Again, these words reflect a powerful lament by Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations, chapter three. Starting in verse 55, Jeremiah said, I called on your name, O oh Lord, from the depths of the pit, You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you, and you said, do not fear. You know, Jesus experienced a similar scenario to Jonah and to Jeremiah and to all these other saints of Scripture, right? And throughout the the years of uh, the, the, the heritage of our faith. Jesus experienced a similar scenario when he was in the depth of the tomb, in our case, though, he was there uh, for a unique purpose. He was there to, well, because he took on our sin at the cross, and he was there that when he rose again, he demonstrated he was victorious over our sin and over death. God did not let Jesus go, and similarly, God does not let us go. So whether you want to look at Jonah, or you want to look at Jesus, or everyone in between, you can remember that God does not let us go. When was the last time you had a prayer of lament? For some of you, it's been the last few weeks in one way or another. And those are horrendous moments in life. They really are. And we empathize with you when you are there. And then when we are there, you empathize and care for us, right? It's a mutual 
bond we have as a church family when we go through those scenarios. Well, let me remind you that God has not let you go. And we see this in verse six, the very end, what Jonah had just said. After his long lament, then he uses this phrase, yet. Yet you brought me up from my life, or uh, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. His circumstance, it stinks, literally it stinks, but it's, it's an awful circumstance, yet God is still God and God still acted. This is the second yet that Jonah cries out. He had one a moment ago. And the second one is one that says, this is an awful situation, yet this is who God is. And I'm gonna come back to this in a moment when we talk about how, how we can live this out. But let's remember that when we are in the belly of the fish or the valley of the shadow of death or however you wanna describe it, usually people say the rock bottom, we must focus our attention on Jesus Christ and remember, yet, this is who our God is. You know, this summer, I was reflecting on some recent hardships in ministry, and uh, I was parked out here, actually, and uh, looking at the mountains and stuff, and I was just thinking about certain scenarios that have happened recently, and I found myself uh, lamenting, not, not whining, necessarily, but really trying to get stuff off my chest to the Lord and not bury it, and so I was crying out to him, and, and I, I remember saying it wasn't supposed to be this hard. And I was just kind of talking, but I, what I love was the response that I sensed just so clearly was, but I strengthened you along the way. And <laughs> I had to keep going, so I said, yeah, but it it hurt a lot, and, uh, and his reply was, and I was with you. You know, in your hardship, let me ask you, where was God? He was with you. He didn't leave you. And many of you can testify to how he strengthened you through the situation. Rarely does he take us out of the situation. He lets us stay in it for a certain amount of time. For Jonah's situation, it was three days and three nights. For us, when we are in that crucible, there are deep, profound lessons. A friend, uh, a mentor actually, years ago, he used the, the phrase, the dark night of the soul, to describe this sort of moment. And I think that appropriately describes what I'm saying here. Well, verse eight or seven, we'll start in verse seven. We'll read the rest of Jonah's prayer here. He says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols, they forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. And then he says this, salvation belongs to the Lord. That's the end of his prayer. And verse 10 says, and the Lord spoke to that fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. That's a disgusting story. And yet here we have it. 
Jonah summarizes the Lord's protection after three days and then his commitment to the Lord and then the Lord directs the fish to spit Jonah back out on dry land and then Jonah gets up and gets going. And we'll look at that portion next week. So here we have Jonah. He's in this big fish. And you know, I know that there are some critics who will point to this story and say, this is impossible. This doesn't make any sense. This defies some logic. And I, I would say, listen, if, if you started in Genesis and you've gotten to Jonah and you're, you're just now saying that about certain things that God does, then you either skip portions that are far more challenging to comprehend or something. I would love to hear how you rationalize some of the other stuff that you would have had to work through. What we look at, we look at this and we recognize this is a historical story. This isn't just some allegorical story, some metaphor thing that people can build some great lesson upon, which there are great lessons. But we read this recognizing God and his sovereignty appointed this fish to swallow Jonah and take him back to dry land. And I know it sounds like a campfire fish tale, literally about a fish, which is just crazy, but we can believe that this truly happened to Jonah. And Jonah's final statement is one that we must also declare. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Actually, have you? I want you to say that with me. Ready? Salvation belongs to the Lord. Yeah, let us remember who brings the victory. It's not us. It's not your hard work. It's not your wit and your opportunities and whatever else. It's the Lord. Not only from dangerous moments like this story, but it is the Lord who gives us victory over sin, over bondage and addictions, and ultimately over death. So let me ask you, as I started with, how do you respond when you are in the belly of despair? When you are crippled by fear and uncertainty, and you have just made some bad decisions, and now you are stuck. You know, whatever is putting you there, what do you do? Let me offer two exhortations when you're in that valley. First of all, focus on God, not the circumstance. Focus on God, not that circumstance. Jonah describes this a few times where he says, yet, and then he mentions what God did. He also said, with the voice of thanksgiving, I'll sacrifice to you. It just reminds us of the, when you were in, the, in those moments, how can you, or let me rephrase it, what can you thank the Lord for in those moments? I have found that even in the worst situations, I can still find ways to thank the Lord. And I'm not forcing it. There, there, there are things that you can see God moving. It's not how you may have wanted, but you can still see how God is there and present in the midst of that situation. Hebrews 12 uh, verses one and two, it's lengthy, but when you take the middle sections of these verses, it has this sentence. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. When you are in a valley type circumstance, and some of you are there right now, I'm so glad you're here today. You need this message, and you need to be reminded of this exhortation. Focus on God and not the circumstance. Look directly at who he is. Who is God? Not, not even who is God to you, but just who is he? As we know from scripture, and as it's been affirmed by the testimony of believers over the centuries and thousands of years, who is God? From scripture, we have this written uh, 
as a church family, we say God is the creator, ruler, and redeemer of the universe. He is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, love, justice, goodness, and truth, eternally existing in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each with distinct personal attributes, but without division of nature, essence, or being. These three are co-equal and are one God. God is omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, and he's omnibenevolent. And all creation brings him glory according to his design and purpose. To God, we owe the highest love, reverence, and obedience. That is who our God is. So the first thing is you focus your attention on God, not the circumstance. Secondly, I wanna exhort you to identify any doubt that lingers in your mind and address it with scripture. What I found is when you are in that valley, when you're in that fish belly, whatever you wanna say, that sort of metaphor, when you are there, you begin to doubt who God is. You doubt his characteristics. So you'll doubt that he is good. You'll doubt that he's faithful. You'll doubt that he's loving. You'll doubt that he is wise. Because all you're looking at is this situation. You'll say, if my God was loving, this wouldn't happen. If my God was wise, this wouldn't happen and so on and so forth. Well, you take those question marks and you smash them with scripture because it's the truth of the word that will pierce those doubts and that feeling and the situation or the enemy's lies. Scripture sheds eternal light on what is actually occurring. And Jesus describes this in part when he says this in John chapter eight. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, and you are truly my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's John 8, 31 and 32. So verse 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Great verse to memorize and to commit uh, and to practice. So let me exhort you to identify any doubt that might be there. And it might be something different than doubt, but that tends to be a, a common one. We sit and we talk through it, we pray through it, you talk through it in your group, and you address it with the truths of scripture, not just your opinion and not a great podcast and all that kind of stuff, but with what God says about that situation, right? So focus on God and then pierce through that doubt with scripture. I know that we all go through these moments and that some of us are are, uh, in this kind of scenario today, and so... Um, as we conclude, I would, uh, I wanna encourage, uh, so Annie and the team, you guys can come up here to lead us in this last song. I wanna encourage you all to uh, allow for the, the ministry of care and prayer to, to meet you where you are, all right? So our prayer team, if you guys would be on the, the edges here and maybe even the back, just kind of scatter around a big circle Uh, If you're a group leader, actually, I encourage you to also be available to pray so we can minister to one another. And as uh, several passages in the New Testament say, we'll carry and care for the burdens of our brothers and sisters. And as you're kind of like making your way and working through it, I do wanna, I wanna read for you um, a a song that I wrote. I, I, debated playing it and singing it, but I didn't tell you and, you know, and I've also never sung it publicly, so. 
I'm not doing that today. I thought it might detract, because you'd be like, wow, he doesn't sound very good. But I love, you know, so I didn't want to detract from the words. But I wrote this when I was in a, in a very dark spot. And, uh, and it reads kind of, I guess, like a, like a song, but it's more, almost like a poem, I guess. So let me just read it for you. And then we will um, we'll conclude with a moment of worship. In the dark, I'm in chains. They are heavy and won't go away. But in the light, I can see. You're my Jesus and you've set me free. In the dark, I'm stuck at sea. I feel despair. I want the end for me. But in the light, I can see. You're my Jesus, so darkness has to flee. In the dark, I'm alone and scared. It's hard to remember that you're faithful and care. But in the light, I can see you're my Jesus and in you there's victory. In the dark, I'm blind. I feel lost and I just wanna cry. But in the light, I can see you're my Jesus and you're coming for me.